I'm a child of God. Have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look at your neighbor and just say, you know, you look marvelous. Marvelous, simply marvelous. Or if you want to do the Billy Crystal, you look marvelous. Simply marvelous. That puts a smile on your face, doesn't it? Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, and he said, Who neither feared God nor cared about people? Jesus is describing this judge. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? A powerful story that we need to heed today and learn from today. So many of us want justice, vengeance, and yet God says that's his to give. So we need to be faithful and patient and wait for God. How many of you know the name Ted Turner? Big TV millionaire mogul guy. He was at an American Humanist Association banquet receiving an award for his work on the environment, world peace, and he took the opportunity to openly criticize fundamental Christianity. Ted Turner said, Jesus would be sick at his stomach over the way his ideas have been twisted. I've been saved seven or eight times, but I gave up on it when despite my prayers, my sister died. So the more I strayed from my faith, the better I felt. Well, Ted Turner's dead wrong, but he is fundamentally perfect in his assumption and assertion concerning God and prayer. Many people will pray about something for a while. And when that answer doesn't come, when the answer doesn't come like we think it should, we kind of throw up our hands in defeat and we say, well, what's the use? Today I want to talk to you about the persistence of prayer. And there's power there. I really started out with a question, I guess, in the outline that, does prayer really make any difference? Many of us have to admit today that we've probably done that same thing, just thrown our heads up and said, oh, what's the use? But I hope to challenge that idea today with our passage. In these verses, Jesus tells his disciples in this parable 
the importance, the importance of persistent prayer. And as we examine this parable this morning, we need to learn the truths that are found there. Why? Why do we need to learn these truths in this passage? Simply because in the church and in the work of the Lord, everything rises or falls on prayer. How many of you want our church to grow in number? Let me see your hands. How many of you want our church to grow in number? Great. How many of you pray every day for that to happen? Awesome. Not quite as many hands. How many of you are willing to do what you can to make that happen? Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. But here's one thing that we have to do. As a corporate body, we have to pray, pray, pray for this church to grow. And in that prayer, put some legs to the prayer and invite, 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 invite. We must do it. In fact, we're commanded to do it. And I know that's a strong word, but we're commanded to do that. And when we don't do it, we get the end result. So we need to pray. We need to be more prayer focused. And I would love to see the whole church, every person that calls this church their home, I would love for them to say, man, I'm going to pray, Pastor, over the next 30 days. Every day I'm going to pray for this church to grow. I, you know, God just might do something wild and crazy and send some folks to us. Isn't that funny how he'll do that? Coincidental, isn't it? <laughs> wow, you must be great. It usually grows when I'm gone. So for the next two weeks, we'll have record attendance as you pray. And that'll be awesome. I, I can't wait to hear the reports. Always remember that we are a church that believes in prayer. We have a cross at the front. We have a kneeling bench. We have a stool. Um, some of the people have asked me, Preacher, what are those red things on the cross? Well, over a year ago, when I came back from CIY, I used the red paper for a reason, representing the blood of Jesus. But I ask you to put on that paper, not your name, but a struggle that you wanted to give to God. And you turned them in. And they're still up there. I'm going to take those down soon. And I'm going to build a sermon around them, I think. Because is, is God big enough to handle these things? Is God big enough to, to make this church grow? Oh, yeah, He is. Are we big enough to allow Him <laughs> to let the church grow? Because, see, if the church should grow, we aren't as comfortable. Because somebody might be sitting in the seat you always sit in when you show up at church. And if they're in your seat when you come to church that day... Are you going to stand over them like an eagle and wait till they move? Or are you going to find another seat and hopefully sit there? I know you'll be totally uncomfortable because every seat's different. Even though we bought them all the same at the same time. I understand. I remember some of you have reminded me a few years ago when I challenged you one Sunday to switch places. And some of you commented about how it just didn't feel right. <laughs> because we're creatures of comfort. We're creatures of habit. And one of the habits that we need to be about is the habit of praying and trusting and leaning on God to do marvelous things. But I want us to look at this story. I want to, first of all, look at the power and the cry 
of the widow. In verse 3, we see her demand. Now, we don't know the nature of the woman's burden, but she mentions that she's burdened. She's been given a grievance, and she has that against somebody, and it's, it's real heavy. It's laying heavy on her heart. But also in verse 3, we learn about her disadvantages. This woman had several things working against her. First of all, she was a woman. And women were not allowed to speak out loud in public during this time. Some would wish that were back in force again, that women couldn't speak out loud in public. I was at a computer class the other day uh, on grant writing, and I had a lady turn around and said, oh, you're a pastor. I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, well, do you allow women to come and preach at your church? And I said, no. Boy, she looked at me funny. She said, well, I've learned some things. I said, I'm sure you have. And she said, well, I'll write them down and you preach them. I said, whatever, whatever you need to do, dear. But I said, no, we're, we're not in the habit of turning our pulpit over to just anybody. I don't plan to do that. And uh, that was the last of the conversation. I guess I discouraged her. She didn't want to, she didn't give me any written word as I left. But the second thing about this woman that we under, can understand is that as a widow, she had no husband to speak on her behalf. You see, women, if they wanted to, to have their voice heard in public, had to have their husbands do that speaking for them. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul says women should be silent in the church, well, we've misused that for years. Because if women were totally silent in the church, we wouldn't have any teaching going on. I've never seen a man yet line up to be in the nursery. All right, we need nursery workers. Great. We always wait for the women to do it, right? Men don't jump up and go back there and do that. Okay, we need, we need teachers in the preschool. I don't see very many men jumping up and doing that either. I've seen husband and wife teams do it, and they do an excellent job. But she needed a man to be able to speak, especially in court. Thirdly, as a widow, she was in a part of a segment of the society that was oppressed and often taken advantage of. And then lastly, I want you to know that as a widow and being a widow was synonymous with being poor. She had no money to grease the wheels of justice, if you know what I mean. She couldn't pay a bribe, even if she wanted to. But the latter part of verse 5 shows us her determination. The Bible says... And refers to her continual coming. Or in other translation, constant requests. It's like a three-year-old who always asks, Why? 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 They take a breath before they say why again. How come? I don't want to. No. Why? Go do that. Because? Why? Pretty soon you want to just pray for them, don't you? with your hand around their neck as you're praying. But she was determined. And this phrase, continual coming, constant request, is an idea that she was begging the judge every day. I mean, he would go to play tennis. She was there. He would go to research to shop. She was there. He would go to Brahms to get ice cream. She was there. He would go to Starbucks for coffee. She was there. Everywhere he went, she was there, always asking him, Judge, 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 what about, what about me, judge, what about me, what about me, hey, 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 judge, hey, 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 can't you see, can't you see her, 
She's laying it on him all the time. Pleading with him. Stalking him, so to speak. Everywhere he went, there she was. And then we see her, de- her desperation because of her social standing, because of her financial standing. She had no other hope but to get help from this judge. So she made herself a nuisance. <laughs> a nuisance. We got ready to cook steak last night, and the grill wouldn't work. Well, that's not a good way to do steaks when your grill doesn't work. But the most interesting part of the night was the mole sitting on the sidewalk beside the door. I've never seen one sit on the, sit on the sidewalk and look at us like, who are you guys? So we kicked him off out in the grass. He rolled over, turned around, and looked at us again. He says, I know you're 19,000 times bigger than I am, but I'm going to stay right here. So we kicked him again. I didn't kill him. But I think the third kick, he got the idea because he disappeared quickly underground. I've never seen anybody dig that fast. This woman, was deter- she was desperate and she would do whatever it took to become a nuisance in this man's life. And really, the widow represents us. There are times when we're so burdened with our worries and our cares and our troubles. and It's during those times when we seem... The circumstances of life are stacked up against us. There's a temptation to say, what's the use? Especially when we've prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seems to happen. But if we can learn from this poor woman, we need to learn the lesson that persistence in prayer pays off. It pays off in God's time because it's always about God's time. I just need to partner with him. Now I want us to focus a little bit on this judge and the coldness of this judge. In verse 2, we find out that he was corrupt. It says, Jesus described him and said he doesn't have any, uh, he didn't care anything about God or about man. All he cared about was himself and his own life. And to simply put it, he was a wicked, evil person. To understand this judge, we need to understand something about the, of what the judicial system was like in those days. Warren Worsby, a great teacher of the word, described the judicial system this way. The courtroom was not a fine building, but a tent that was moved from place to place as the judge covered his circuit. The judge, not the law, set the agenda, and he sat regally in the tent, surrounded by his assistants. Anyone, anybody could watch the proceeding from outside, but only those who were approved and accepted could have their cases tried. It usually meant bribing one of the assistants so that uh, he could call the judge's attention to the case. Kind of still true to some extent in our world today. But he was a corrupt man. In verse 4, we find out he was calloused even though he had heard this widow's petition and saw she had a case. He would not do as she had asked or pleaded. He just turned a deaf ear to those pleas. He was hard-hearted and closed-minded to the needs of others because he didn't really care about it. Then we also see that he was a condescending person in the latter part of verse 4 and into verse 5. Even though her spiritual condition was as it is, he didn't want to help. But he did in the end. He did finally in the end in verse 5. There's two words that you need to see that 
help us understand that he did. In the King James, it says, troubleth me. In the New Living Translation, it says, driving me crazy. I like that. You ever been driven crazy with question upon question upon question? Those of you that are teachers, I know that you're, in, you're, you're overloaded with questions from these students. You'll present, a, you'll present a part of your class and all of a sudden they, there's about 20 students that have unlimited questions to bring you to suck out of all the knowledge that you have teachers to give them. Amen. To get them to ask half a question would be a blessing. Well, there's lots of talk going on, but it ain't much about the subject matter to what you're trying to teach them. And you find that out when you give them a test. How little they do know. I've subbed for Rodney's classes of eighth grade. He has eighth grade history. What a wonderful bunch of young people he has in his class. I've learned to speed dial the assistant principal. It works out great. But this phrase in the original language comes from two words. It means to reach forth, to beat somebody, or to cause someone trouble. That's what this phrase means in the original. And then the second word is in the King James, it's weary. He tr- she troubles me and I'm weary. Or I like the way New Living puts it, wearing me out. It means to beat us down, to give us a black eye. That's pretty beaten up, isn't it? That's a pretty strong word, but it, it, it's used to inflict severe beatings about the head. I've watched boxing matches where obviously the guy that's going down is going down and the other guy just continues to pummel them and their heads and they finally collapse. Well, that's kind of what's being described here. But the lesson is clear. We may not get the answer that we immediately want, but we've got to keep asking and keep believing and God will answer in His time. John Wesley, great Methodist preacher, encountered many times of refusal and denial during his early years in ministry. He wrote in his diary some entries, and here they are. Sunday, a.m., May 5, priest in St. Anne's, asked not to come back. Sunday, p.m., May 5, priest in St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday, a.m., May 12, priest at St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday p.m., May 19th, priest in, in, in St. Somebody Else's. <laughs> Deacons called special meeting, said I couldn't return. Sunday a.m., May 26th, priest on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., June the 2nd, priest at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June the 2nd, priest in the pasture. <laughs> 10,000 came. If you and I are to get the answer, it may take some action on our part. Consistency and Persistence in prayer brings action. So I would encourage you to be persistent in your prayers because that's what God would want us to do. The great fault of the children of God is that, they, that we don't continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. And we need to understand God wants us to do that. The third thing I want you to get from our story is the contrast with our Father. Jesus then turns from the character in the parable to the Father up in heaven 
and when he shows us that God, who is nothing like this unjust God, delights in answering our prayers, the prayers of his elect. In verse 7, he hears his people. We need to understand and never fear that God doesn't hear us. His ears are completely tuned to us. He hears our prayers. He will respond to us. Keep praying. Keep praying, church. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. Also in verse 7, we see that He honors our persistence. Though He bear long with them, Jesus may not answer instantly or immediately, but stay with it. Stay with Him. He will either change your heart in the way you pray, or the answer will come. Sometimes it's not immediate. Sometimes it's delayed. But the key is never, ever give up. Never, ever give up. And then the first part of verse 8, we see how God handles our petitions. He doesn't turn a deaf ear to those petitions. He begins the process of working them out. And in truth, real prayer is the evidence of God's impending answer. I encourage people to develop a prayer chart. On the chart, you write down the date and the prayer. And then when God answers the prayer, you put a date after it. And what that, what that does for you is over a period of time, you see God actually answering your prayer. Of all the people in the universe, universe, not the world, the universe, of all the creation that He's ever made, if there are four life forms out there wherever, we don't know of those. He only mentions the earth. But all the prayers that are prayed, He heard your prayer and answered your prayer. That's the power of a prayer journal. I would encourage you to start one if you don't have one already. Real prayer always begins with God, not with us. Many of us are burdened because we don't hear the answers. Well, Romans 8, 26 and 27 tells us the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Pray the prayer. It's getting through because the Holy Spirit promises He'll take it to God on our behalf. And I think that's awesome. I want to share with you as we begin to close the story of persistent prayer. Roger Sims, which, his, which was hitchhiking, I can't get it out, on his way home. But he would never forget the date of May the 7th. His heavy suitcase made Roger tired. He was anxious to take off his army uniform once and for all. Flashing the hitchhiking sign to an oncoming car, he lost hope when he saw it was a black, sleek, brand new Cadillac. Well, to his surprise, the car stopped, the passenger door opened, he ran toward the car, tossed his suitcase in the back and thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the passenger side of the car. Going home for keeps? Sure am, Roger responded. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Well, not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? I have a business there. My name is Hanover. Do you live uh, or do you uh, make things? And he told him a little bit about his business. And uh, after a little while, Roger, who's a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-ish age man. Obviously a successful businessman. He wanted to witness to him about Christ, but he kept putting it off till he was about 30 minutes away from his home. 
He cleared his throat and he said, Mr. Hanover, I would like to talk to you about something very important. And then he proceeded to explain the way of salvation. Mr. Hanover, he hoped, would receive Christ. To Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road and Roger thought, well, he's going to kick me out of the car. Mr. Hanover paused and asked Roger to lead him in a prayer of salvation. And so on the side of the road that day, Mr. Hanover gave his life to Christ with tears streaming down his face. Five years went by and Roger married and had two, a two-year-old boy and had a business of his own. He was packing his suitcase for a business trip to Chicago and he found a small white business card that Mr. Hanover had given him five years earlier. In Chicago, he looked up Hanover Enterprises. A receptionist told him that it would be impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. He was a bit confused, but he was ushered into this lovely office and found himself facing this keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand. You knew my husband? Well, Roger told her how her husband had given him a ride when hitchhiking, coming home from war. Can you tell me what and when that was? It was May 7, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Anything special about that day? Roger asked her. Should he mention giving her his witness to her husband since he had come so far? He might as well take the plunge. And Mrs. Hanover, I explained the gospel. He pulled over to the side of the road and he wept against the steering wheel. He gave his life to Christ that day. Explosive sobs came from her body. Getting a grip on herself, she said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years. I believed God would save him. Roger said, Where is your husband, Mrs. Hanover? She said, He's dead. She was still weeping, struggling with the words. He was in a car crash after he left you and let you out of the car. He never made it home. And so you see, I thought God had not kept His promise. She was crying uncontrollably and she said, I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought He had not kept His word. Folks, persistence in prayer makes all the difference. Believing in the prayer that you pray makes even more difference. So, what is the challenge of application from the lesson today and the message today? Let me give you just a few. In verse 1, we need to be committed to prayer. Jesus said we ought to always pray. In 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, the Bible says pray without ceasing. In other words, no intermission. When your feet hit the floor, your eyes are open and you're breathing, taking in nourishment. You ought to be in a posture of prayer all day long. An attitude, a spirit of prayer all day long. Be ready. Be watchful, we're told in Scripture. Have the attitude and the atmosphere of prayer all the time. Secondly, in verse 1, be, be consistent in that prayer. Don't faint. Don't lose heart to become slothful, to grow weary. Jesus is challenging us not to lose heart, to stay in there, not to give up, not to give in, not to cave. Always be ready. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Thirdly, in verse 8, 
we need to be comforted by prayer. The last question in verse 8 wonders if Jesus will find faith when He returns. He says, will He find His people persisting in prayer before the Father over the things that really matter? That's what Jesus is really asking. Are you going to have faith? Are you going to stay with it? Are you going to give in? Are you going to cave in? Are you going to go the course? Are you going to go the last mile? When the Son of Man comes. See, there's comfort in that statement. When the Son of Man comes. While crossing the Atlantic on an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer was asked to address the passengers on the subject of answered prayer. An agnostic who was present at the service asked, what did you think of, or was asked, what did you think of Dr. Meyer's sermon? And he said, well, I didn't believe a word of it. Later that afternoon, the agnostic was on his way to another service just to hear, as he put it, what the babbler had to say. He put two oranges in his pocket, and as he walked toward the meeting place, he passed an elderly woman sitting in a chair, fast asleep. But in the spirit of fun, the man slipped these two oranges into her outstretched palms. After the meeting, he saw the old lady happily eating one of those oranges. And he said to her, you seem to be enjoying those oranges, ma'am. She said, yes, sir. My father is very good to me. Your father... Surely your father can't still be alive. And she, she uh, exclaimed, well, praise God, he's very much alive. And then she goes on to explain to this agnostic, you see, I've been seasick for days. I was asking God to somehow send me an orange to help ease my sickness. I suppose I fell asleep and while I was praying and, and woke up, not only had he sent me one, but he sent me two. That's my father, she said. Well, the agnostic was speechless to her response. But it was reported later on that cruise that he found a personal relationship with Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's keep on praying. Let's keep on praying. Can you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these that are here. It's not coincidence that this group of people are here this moment to hear this message you don't do things that way you perform things and touch things and bless things for a result so god i'm praying that this morning this group of people will pray this prayer they will begin to pray persistently, consistently, never ceasing, that they will pray for this church to grow. And in the process of our church growing, pray for themselves that they will grow. Because God, if we grow in number, it's going to make it uncomfortable here. If we grow in number, it's going to be people that we don't know right now. If we grow in number... That means that our waters of baptism are going to be moving more than they do now. If we grow in number, there's going to be kids that get loud. There's going to be adults that don't cooperate. There's going to be all kinds of wild and crazy things going on, God, when we grow in number. Why? Because the enemy is taking notice. So, God, we want to put him on notice. And we want to step up to the plate and begin to pray for the growth of this church. God, I would believe that by the end of this year,
within three months, within 90 days, that this church could double in size. I believe it. I'm praying for that. I'm encouraging everyone in this church that's in the hearing of my voice this morning to begin to pray that, believing in faith that you will deliver. Because God is far beyond our ability. Or is it? Because you see, we are your mouthpieces. We are your servants. And if we truly believe that we are your servants, then we'll get about the business of bringing the message of Christ to those we know are lost. There are people not in church this hour, this morning, and we know who they are. God, would we pray persistently about them, that their hearts would change, that their minds be open, and God, that they would respond. Oh, we don't have the fanciest looking church in town. We don't have a lot of uh, theatrical lights and sound systems. It doesn't work most of the time. Father, we don't have the high-powered anything. All we've got is your high power. Oh, we may not have a a wild-eyed youth pastor. We may not have that, but we've got people that love kids. And God, I know we do. We saw one this morning that loved kids. That's all she wants to do is reach out and touch kids. Four months ago, she wasn't growing at all. And now I can't slow her down. Oh, God, what a blessing. What a blessing. Would there be one more in our church that would say, Preacher, preacher, wind me up and turn me loose. Oh, God, they're here. They're here. I know you want this church to grow because you sent Jesus to die for the lost. And we need to be about the... You know, God, we may not can talk, but we can pray. We may not can teach, but we can pray. We may not be able to lead, but we can pray. And so, God, I'm praying. I am praying that people in this church, in my hearing voice this morning, will respond. That they will make a dedicated effort to begin to pray for the growth of this church. It's important that we grow, not because we need more people, not so we can brag about what we've got, It's because that's one more person that wasn't in church that is now. One more person that was lost and going to hell, but we led them to Christ, been baptized, and they're ready to be saved forever. God, would you encourage our hearts? Would we double in size in 90 days? We could actually do it next week. If everybody here today brings one person with them and themselves, we're a church of 100 overnight. It could happen, God. It can happen. I've watched you do it before. I give you all praise and glory and honor. Maybe there's somebody here, God, that's ready to take the call. Would you move in them in Jesus' name? Amen. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. Every week we do that for one reason, is to give you a chance to respond to God. There's three pieces to an invitation. One is for you personally, for you to respond in prayer. To call out to God, because that's the most important part of the invitation. The second part of the invitation is for those who don't know Jesus at all. They've never made Him their personal Lord and Savior. Well, we'd like to know about that so that we could sit down and teach you more 
so you understand what that decision means. It's not good to receive somebody, boom, and here we go. They need to understand why they're making the decision. Because this is a, an eternal change, by the way. Not just lifelong, it's eternal. Want to make sure you're doing the right thing. Know why you're doing it. And then thirdly, it's for those that are looking for a church home. They're baptized. They've been baptized for years. And they like what they see at our church. And they want to make this church their home church. Well, we want to give you that opportunity also. Every week we do this. And I haven't explained it very, very much lately, so I thought I'd explain it this morning. So if you fall into any of those three and your desire today is to let us know that, man, I hope you do. Mick is here at the front. We have our elders up here every Sunday. Uh, Don's out of town today, but Mick will be here. And he, he's here for one reason, to pray with you. If you need him to, if you don't want him to pray with you, he'll leave you alone. But you can get on your knees right up here on either side. Just call out to God. You can come up to the cross. Call out to God. You can call out to God right from where you are. But are you going to respond today? That's the question of the hour. Let's stand. Let's sing our invitation song. And uh, let's see what God does in your heart today.